I'm reading this book called I Love Dick. My brother, I think he got it older. It's about a female artist, the author Chris Krauss, who starts a mostly one-sided affair with a colleague of her husband's after he flirts with her at dinner one night. The colleague's name is Dick. The author projects her fantasies onto Dick for over a year, entirely through letters she writes and writes and actually sends, although her fantasies quickly transform from romantic wanderings into explorations into art theory, politics, and philosophy. So far, I don't get it, but I'm only on page 69. Really. And the reason why is because on page 11, the main character, Chris, says in one of her first letters to Dick, about Dick, I'm a sucker for despair, for faltering. That moment when the act breaks down, ambition fails. I love it, and I feel guilty for perceiving it. I can't get past the logic of this piece, because I can't figure out what it is she feels guilty about. I guess neither can she, because then the warmest affection floods in to drown the guilt is the other half of that sentence that glosses right over the guilt. But, huh? What's wrong with feeling affection for someone's frailty, vulnerability, helplessness, humanness? What's to feel guilty about? When I was in my 20s, I discovered I inherited German citizenship through my father. This was pretty thrilling, partly because it gave definition to the feeling I always had of not quite belonging. But I didn't get a lot of sympathy when I told people I'm a first-generation American, mainly because, back in the 1980s, Americans still considered America a country of immigrants. My brother, I think you got it wrong. That didn't stop me from telling anyone who'd listen, though. You know, in that annoying way 20-year-olds do. Identifying yourself by the things that make you different, rather than the things you share. One night, I told some guy sitting next to me at a bar, and suddenly I was on the receiving end of an accusatory figure, jabbing the air that separated me and him. Do you know what your people did to my country? He was from Brazil. I thought he was talking about Nazi war criminals, and thought, that's not my family. We never went to Brazil. What did I have to feel guilty about? Welcome to Artipus, art you can hear. Artipus visits Monica von Vicini's Guilt at Josef Koenig Gallery in Berlin. If we're going to talk about Dick, then we might as well talk about Donald Trump. I feel guilty for making Trump the punchline because he's such an easy target. On the other hand, he kind of does it to himself. Trump is the ultimate example of a dick, an uber dick, if you will. Although the company Uber is also a dick. And one of the qualities of a dick that Trump has in spades is the complete lack of guilt. Grab him by the pussy, call people names, tell the French first lady she looks good for her age, play golf while students attend the funerals of their friends in Parkland, Florida, only 60 kilometers away. Like, the guy just has no shame. I feel like I don't even need to give examples. The Koenig Gallery in Berlin is, in fact, a former Catholic church, St. Agnes, built in the brutalist style, 
It's all concrete and stone and soaring ceilings that are designed less to encourage heavenly aspirations than to remind you of the might and wrath of the powers that be. The gallery uses the chapel on the ground floor and the nave on the first floor as its main exhibition spaces. Monica Bonvicini's installation, Guilt, is in the chapel. I saw this exhibit with Kelby, a young friend of a friend visiting from Florida, the heart of Trump territory, and not far from the recent Parkland school shootings. Kelby is the black sheep in his community, out exploring the world, experiencing culture, very excited about Buddhist architecture. As we were getting to know each other on our way to the gallery, Kelby told me he studied criminology for a bit at university and wrote a paper on the American serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, who was so uncomfortable with his own homosexuality that he had to kill his victims just to have sex with them, and then ate them. I'm an emotional eater, but that's ridiculous. My brother, I think he got it older. Anyway. When we walked into the gallery, the first thing you see, of course, is Bonvicini's guilt on the floor. Suspended from the ceiling are massive iron chains that are attached to a large sculpture lying on the floor. The word guilt in large block letters, the kind used in graffiti straight letter throw-ups or in blingy hip-hop or rap jewelry. It's in full 3D, the word guilt painted gold. It's called 62 Tons of Guilt. Hanging on the wall is a smaller version, framed. This time the word guilt is in an almost cartoon-like font, a pendant on a silver chain, that makes me think of teenagers in rebellion and sticking it to the man. The way things become appropriated, especially by kids, wearing it as a badge of pride as part of an alternative culture, rather than a sign that labels you an outsider. Like suburban kids appropriating hip-hop and rap. Punks appropriating the Native American mohawk the gay community appropriating the term queer, American kids appropriating the gun debate. The installation includes one other element that I didn't see right away, but read about it, and I was looking really hard for it. Hats. It turns out they're on the floor-to-ceiling bookshelves across from the reception desk, set alongside artist catalogs and exhibition books for research and for sale. Three trucker caps, two black, one red, the word guilt in capital letters embroidered across the front of each. These obviously refer to Trump's Make America Great Again hats. Who knew these dumb trucker hats would become so iconic? Of course, people who wear those hats are wearing them as a badge of pride, of courage even. Like the mohawk, or the term queer. My brother, I think you got it older. But Bonvicini's hats are, of course, meant to place guilt directly on the heads of the people who are, well, guilty. Guilty of racism, white supremacy, sexism, capitalism, patriarchy. A modernized version of the scarlet letter A old Hester Prynne was forced to wear for committing adultery. Hester Prynne, if you don't know, is the protagonist of the first great American novel written by Nathaniel Hawthorne. It used to be required reading in high school, back when America was a nation of immigrants. I don't know when they stopped teaching it, probably around the time Hollywood ruined it with an adaptation that entirely missed the point. Set in the 1600s in a Puritan community of Massachusetts, Hester Prynne is a widow. Her husband went to sea. She hasn't heard from him in a long time. He didn't come back when he said he would, so she assumes he's dead. She falls in love with the town preacher, winds up pregnant with his baby, but the preacher, of course, can't marry her. He's a man of God. 
He's there to serve the public, obviously a very important career in Puritan, Massachusetts. So Hester volunteers to carry the guilt alone because she never reveals who the father is. And it's soon obvious to the community that the widow Prynne is pregnant with somebody's baby. Bam, adultery. And for her adultery, Hester is forced to wear a scarlet letter A embroidered to her bosom at all times. So everyone will know what she did, and so she herself will never forget. She must bear her shame in public as a tool of moral conduct and reinforcement. And so everyone else will know that she can never be trusted, especially around men. She kind of did it to herself. The hats that are actually worn by Trump supporters already signify a kind of guilt built mostly on Trump's platform of feeling oppressed by political correctness, of being tired of feeling guilty, of wanting to do what they want to do with no repercussion and without shame. Grab him by the pussy, rant like a teenager, and slap your name all over everything in giant letters, like a talisman or a ward against moral responsibility. It's not a scarlet letter. It's a gold letter, pure and uh, gold, shiny. Like the necklaces scrawling out the names of rap stars and hip-hop artists and Florida teenagers. Guilty, according to some, of bullying their shooter. If only they had been kinder to him in class, he probably wouldn't have killed 17 of their classmates and scarred all of them for life. They kind of brought it on themselves. Of course, if the shooter had been black, the argument would be, if only he hadn't reached for his cell phone, he wouldn't have gotten shot 20 times for no reason. He kind of brought it on himself. In Monica Bonvicini's massive piece of guilt on the floor, like a giant-sized version of the smaller necklace displayed on the wall, I can't get past the chains of this piece. Chains. Chains evoke industry and slavery, imprisonment, being tied down, the old ball and chain. To be more precise, I can't get past the language of the piece. In German, French, Italian, and Spanish, these languages gender their nouns, and in all of these languages, guilt, as a noun, is masculine. But shame is feminine. Who carries the weight of guilt? My brother, I think he got it older. Hester Prynne is shunned by her community and barred from the church. She spends more and more time alone, away from the influence of the church and the community, and, as a result, she starts to think. At first, her thoughts frighten her, but she continues to explore them and see where they lead her. They lead her to conclude that the Puritan church and its rigid moral policy of sin and guilt may not actually be designed to bring her happiness, but rather keep her restricted and weighed down, chained. What's interesting about the Scarlet Letter is that in his prologue, Hawthorne confesses that his ancestors were Puritans, part of the first wave of settlers to the United States, and they actively participated in the Salem witch trials, accusing, hunting, and killing women in their community, and spreading hysteria. His prologue is an apology, his novel a scolding, a caution against letting opinions and dogma and politics get too extreme. 62 tons of guilt. In conventional literature, The Scarlet Letter, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, Oscar Wilde's Portrait of Dorian Gray, guilt sickens, cripples, kills. Nobody wants that. So what do you do with it? 
you give it away. Shift it onto someone else, the classic guilt trip. This hurts me more than it hurts you. I did this because I love you. Don't cry for me, Argentina, said Eva Perón, while her government was busy disappearing tens of thousands of Argentinians. I died for your sins. Oh, wait, what? My brother, I think you got it wrong. It turns out that Brazilian guy in that bar so long ago wasn't referring to Nazi war criminals settling in Brazil, but German colonialism, a part of Germany's history that isn't very well known. The German government very quietly paid reparations to Namibia a few years ago for its brutal colonial policies, and nothing was really heard about it again. Much like the Japanese government's offer to pay reparations to Korea's comfort women, women forced into sex slavery to serve Japanese soldiers during World War II, on the condition they stopped talking about it. Because that's the other thing you do with guilt when it's too heavy to carry. You sweep it under the rug, detach yourself from whoever is standing in the public stockade, reach an out-of-court settlement, pull your advertising, launch an internal review, notify your users their data has been sold, cry all the way to the bank. Eat the poor, said Daniel Defoe. The Koenig Gallery literature that accompanies the exhibit, Guilt, says, Visitors wonder whether Bonvicini's massive sculpture has fallen down from the ceiling into the chapel and got suspended in a paused frame of motion, caught in a permanent status quo. It may be the permanent status quo in the chapel of a Catholic church, but it's not how I saw it. I didn't wonder whether it had fallen down because I saw the installation photos on Instagram, and because I'm in an art gallery, a place where nothing ever happens by accident. Well, almost never. Grab him by the pussy, said Donald Trump. What was so infuriating was the line he said before that, when you're a star, they let you do anything. So he knows it's wrong, but he does it anyway, accompanied by the logic that they let him because he's a star. I mean, they kind of do it to themselves. So what's to feel guilty about? My brother, I think you got it older. It's almost like a non-apology apology. You know, the ones that start off with, I'm sorry you feel that way. Because I don't is the other half of that sentence that gets glossed right over, no doubt washed away by warm and fuzzy feelings, flooding in because it's just so powerful to be the only person who can cause or take away pain. You got it older. In the book I Love Dick, the character Dick protests occasionally that he shouldn't be forced to participate in the author's one-sided fantasies, that it's kind of psychotic, actually. But the author insists he's inspired her to write, that she's finally found her voice and can at last create the art she carries. And he doesn't really have to respond or be a part of it at all, except those times when she insists on her response to keep her fantasy alive. She's reversing the old artist and muse trope, playing the role of the maestro who grooms and pets his models and muse, claims he needs beauty and love to create, and yes, sure, his wife is at home running around after their five kids, but she understands, and you should too, that she, as a human being, is not as important as his career, his ambition, his art. My brother, I think you got it wrong. To me, it makes sense that Monica Bonvicini's 62 tons of guilt is on the ground. Too heavy for the chains to hold, the letters cramped together and forced into a square, a box. 
Guilt, that is, gilded, colored gold, as though guilt is something precious or sacred to bear, as though the guilt itself is the treasure that makes the bearer divine. Here's a necklace to prove I love you. It's a little heavy, but that's because it's covered in gold. It's in your name. It looks good on you. My brother, I think you got it all wrong. can do what you can do. Monica Bonvicini's Guilt is on view until April 15th in the chapel of the Koenig Gallery in the former St. Agnes Church, Alexandrinenstrasse 118 in Berlin. Original music used in this episode is the track The Fall, written and performed by Scottish multi-instrumentalist Rosie Bands from her EP Opia. You can get The Fall as a free download as well as check out her debut album and touring dates at rosiebands.com. And Battle with Bass original mix, mixed by DJ BPM, and Battle with Bass RMX2, mixed by producer and grime pioneer JT the Goon. Both tracks are from the grime EP Battle with Bass Remixes, instigated by Irish DJ DJ BPM. The original track Battle with Bass was inspired by Claudia Wenger's project The Women Sing at Both Sides of the Zambezi, with vocal samples by Zimbabwean journalist and activist Sonani Gwizi. You can purchase the EP from Bandcamp at djbpm-resonancefm.bandcamp.com and hear more of DJ BPM's mixes and find her touring schedule at her website, dj-bpm.co.uk or follow her on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and several internet radio stations. You'll find links at the Artipus website, too. And you can find more tracks and mixes from JT the Goon, Joe Taylor, on YouTube, Spotify, and at record label Oil Gang Records. Or follow him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash JT1980. That's J-A-Y-T-E-E-1980. All tracks used with permission of the artists. Artipus is an independently produced podcast supporting artists, museums and galleries, and local musicians. If you connected to this episode, please support the making of the next one. Just click on the donate button at our website, www.artipus.com. That's A-R-T-I-P-O-E-U-S dot com. Transcripts and photos of this episode and more are available at medium.com. You're probably listening to us on SoundCloud or iTunes or on Acast for Android, but you can also stream us through one of our media partners. World Radio Paris, the first all-English radio station in the City of Light. Reaching over one million English speakers in Grand Paris, WRP broadcasts syndicated shows and locally produced content 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Broadcasting on digital audio band, look for World Radio Paris or call letters WRP. Find the full schedule at worldradioparis.fr. Bear Radio 
Bear Radio is Berlin's first English language podcast network, bringing together the best producers, hosts, and personalities in Berlin. Bear Radio curates Berlin-based programming that immerses, informs, and entertains. For a complete show list, visit bearradio.org. Glarify.com, the world's first art map app. The interactive global mapping tool that lets you locate artist studios, openings, and exhibits in your town and around the world. Sign up at Glarify.com. The Dark Rooms, a curator and artist collective dedicated to reaching beyond the art market through pop-up immersive art experiences in Berlin and beyond. Learn more at thedarkrooms.de. Gallery A Plus in Berlin, an independent exhibition space providing emerging artists a concentrated platform for presentation and discussion for a divergent art audience. Learn about upcoming exhibits and events at aplusaplus.de. Stuzu, the studio exchange for artists, helping artists find new inspiration in new places and grow their art. It's like creative Airbnb. List your studio at stuzu.com. Artipus is very proud to support Hangar One, a nonprofit organization helping Berlin's war zone migrants integrate into their new communities through art. Please support their work at hangarone.org. I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to Artipus, art you can hear.